This is a story about a dude named Lane. He moved to the mainland and bought one place to stay. And then one day he went and tried to rent them out. And then he became one real investor man. Hey everybody, this is Lane with the Simple Passive Cash Flow. Today I have Mark Podolsky. How are you doing, Mark? Lane, pulse is normal. Respiration's fine. How are you? Good. I saw you are walking on the treadmill. Yeah, because sitting's the new smoking. I'm I'm all about it. He's got his own website, and you can go to that at Frontier Equity Properties. He is widely considered the country's most trusted and foremost authority on buying and selling raw land within the United States. You and I were talking earlier about I preach people getting income properties and starting with the fundamentals, and then going up to different things like development and land deals. But yeah, let's talk about this. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So the the way I do it is is very unconventional and contrarian and not what you think, where you think, oh, I'll buy a piece of raw land and uh, go through the development process and, and get it entitled and then, you know, go vertical, right? Or sell it to a developer and go vertical. That's not at all what I do. So I'll walk you through the model. And basically what we do is we make raw land cash flow. And I've got a podcast called The Best Passive Income Model. I explain my bio. I say, do I have the best passive income model? And funny enough, Tom Wheelwright from uh, Rich Dad, Poor Dad was like, Mark, you do have the best passive income model. So I'll, I'll walk you through it. And then you can tell me if I have the best passive income model or not. Yeah, because like right. normally you hear about these guys, they just buy these tracts of land with pennies in the dollar, which is cool. But then they just sit on this stuff indefinitely. And it's kind of like the buddy who goes, or not your buddy, the, the guy you hear that goes to the casino all the times and makes all this money and they say all about it, but they don't talk about all the times they lost. Exactly, exactly. So I've done over 5,000 land flips and I'm going I'm to show you how we do it because we sell it in 30 days or less. So let's say, for example, you are in, you are in Seattle, but let's say, for example, you own a piece of raw land in Texas, okay? So for whatever reason, maybe you inherited it or you bought it, you know, 10 years ago, you thought it would be a good investment. And next thing you know, I go on the uh, treasurer's list from the county and I see, oh, Lane owes $100 in back taxes. You are now advertising to the world. You no longer value that piece of raw land, right? Does that, does that make sense? Right, because a lot, it, it always seems, and I go on Craigslist all over the place. I have like an aggregate um, search function. And it always seems like super unsophisticated people just come into ownership of raw land. Exactly, exactly. So now I send you an offer. 20 to 30 cents on the dollar. Now, that's more than what you would get because if you don't pay your taxes, you're eventually going to lose the property, right? So something is better than nothing. And the mental bandwidth of keeping getting the tax notices from the treasurer is starting to wear on you. So you're like, yeah, all right, I'll sell it to the land geek. Uh, 20, 30 cents a dollar. We do our due diligence. We make sure there's no, you know, uh, you know, liens or encumbrances, that there's legal ingress and egress, all the good stuff that you'd want, and there's a story to it. And then we'd close on it, right? And then we would market that property. Now, Lane, we have a best buyer already built in. Do you know who that is? Is that me? No, it's not you. You're the seller. You've got, you already sold the property. It's your neighbor. Your neighbor, right? So... We then start marketing right away to the neighbors because 
there's always that fear of the unknown. Well, who's going to buy that property right next to me? Are they going to build? Are they going to ruin my view? Are they going to be terrible? Are they going to, you know, go out there and party? Whatever it is. So now I have an opportunity to expand my land holding, right? If I'm a neighbor. So they're the first people to buy. Now let's say, for example, the buy the the neighbors pass. Maybe they want to sell to you. Now I've got a larger tract to sell, which is even more desirable. So now I've got those two situations. Or let's say you know the buyer, the, the neighbors pass. Now I go to my buyers list. So I've already got a buyers list built up, and it's very easy to do. You just give them some kind of uh, something of value. You make them a better land investor. So I, I go to you know threefatallandbuyingmistakes.com. I give them a white paper, make them, you know, teach them how to avoid the three favorite land buying mistakes. And then they know me, like me, trust me after a while. And then I send them every week a promotion. So every week we sell raw land. Now, let's say, for example, the uh, neighbors pass, the buyers list passes. Then we go to a little we- website you probably never heard of called Craigslist. It's 10th most trafficked <laughs> uh, website in the country. And then we'll list our property there. And we automate it. So... I can, with a click of a button, uh, do about 124 listings uh, a day. So, but let's say nobody buys it on Craigslist. Then we go to another little website called Facebook. So then we go to buy and sell groups on Facebook. So someone might buy it there. Now, the way we price it, Lane, is I want to make at least a 300 to 1,000% return on my investment. So my favorite way to sell it is basically owner financing. So I'll get my money on the down. And then we make it irresistible with a car payment. Let's say two forty nine to five ninety nine a month at let's say twelve point nine percent interest, right? And then we use a program called LoanGeek.io to automate that. So now I'm automating the, my 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 borrowers. So every month it, it's a one time set it and forget it setup. And now I've got my money out in the down. I'm getting two forty nine a month, and I'm not dealing with any renters, any rehabs any renovations or rodents. Because I don't have to deal with the tenant, I'm exempt from Dodd-Frank, I'm exempt from RESPA, and I'm exempt from the SAFE Act, right? Right, because you're, you're dealing right. with the end investor. Right, right. And because it is such a massive market, there are billions of acres of land, there's no private equity groups, there's no hedge funds, you don't go on HGTV or the DIY network and see flip this land because all I do is shuffle paper. It's not very good, you know, uh, TV, Lane, do I have the best passive income model? Well, let me ask a few questions. All right, all right. So when you pick up these properties, 20 to 30 cents, is that on the appraised value, market value? That's on the market value. Tax, so Right, so value? no, no, no. So we'll look at the market value. So we'll look at the last, let's say, 12 months of market value sales. And we'll divide by four. And that's how we'll make our offer because that'll get us to 300%. Yeah. Right now, if we can't get a good a good read on it, then we might take the assessed value and divide by four. But sometimes that can get us into trouble, and the market will let us know. So if I have a less than a three percent response rate, I know I came in too low. And if I have a higher than a five percent response rate, I probably have to retrade. I probably came in too high. So I want a three to five percent response rate on my on my offers. And we're actually setting out a real offer. We're not saying. Hey, we're interested in buying your property. They're like, oh, I want to sell my property. I don't want to be in the appraisal business. Um, I really want to say, hey, this is this is what we'll pay for your property. 
Right, an actual letter of intent, or is it more of a formal contract? It's, yeah, it's just a one-page purchase agreement. That's great that you keep those metrics because I hear a lot of wholesalers, you know, they keep metrics on for every a hundred mailers they get back like a point three percent response rate. It's a good way to keep track of where you are, how effective your pricing is. Exactly. Where did you hear that rule? Or is it just uh, something that you picked up? Well, yeah, I mean, I've been doing this full time since 2001. So I've been doing it a while. Now let's go back to that appraised value because you kind of skipped over that. The, the appraised value, is that typically lower than the market value? Yeah, yeah. The, well, we'll call it the assessed value, not the appraised value. Because an appraised value is actually when you go to get an appraiser to appraise it. But the assessed value, so if you look at your house, right, you get a an assessment every every year, and that's how they come up with the tax rate on your house. And you'll notice that what you paid for the house and the assessed value for the house are always very, very different, right? The assessed value is typically 30% lower than the actual market value. Right, but you're looking at the land portion of that. I'm, I'm, I'm looking at just raw land. I'm not looking at houses. I was right. just using houses as an example. Right. But you can go to any GIS city county website and pull up this track of land and will the land value be on there it depends there's three thousand seven counties all of florida is is digital right so definitely in florida um but arizona is pretty good some counties in texas are good so it just depends on the county actually um sometimes you actually have to manually contact the assessor and get a list so usually the the market value is like a what percent of them of the uh Assess value, range-wise. Yeah, I mean, usually it can be all over the place. That's the great thing about raw land. That's the horrible thing about raw land, is that it's very inefficient. So, are you just, are you not like red circling certain deviations between the market and appraise, or like I think you mentioned before, you're just going after any new, any new thing and just going, you know that. 20% rule off of the market. Right. 20, or third, 20 to 30 cents on the dollar. Correct. So if I can look at a comp and I can divide by four, I can make that offer. So you're just using that. You're just going in using that fastball or curveball, whatever. But because the market is so fragmented, because the buyers are so unsophisticated, you usually can get a few people to bite at three to 5%. Correct. Yeah. It's, it's, it was once an asset is now a liability. You know, using software, we have it 90% automated. So I can upload a list. The offers immediately go out via an API with Lob. And then they come back and we have our team go through the due diligence. We upload the GIS maps. We upload the Google Earth maps. We get the GPS coordinates on all four corners. And all that costs us about $11, which we outsource to the Philippines. They do a full title search. And then we go ahead and close with our seller. Now, if it's $5,000 or more, we'll go ahead and close via title. If it's $5,000 or less, we might just have them. We might just send them a deed. They'll sign the deed, notarize it, send it back to us. We'll record it via simplifile.com, which is an online recording process so that we're very transparent with our sellers. Then we'll send them a check. Then we'll go and start the marketing process uh, to the neighbors. Um, Oftentimes, if we don't know what the market's going to be, we will lock up that property via a $50 option and then test the market before we, we even buy it. And then we typically have it a pre-sold and then use the buyer's money. Then that gets us an infinite ROI. So we don't want to take any risk when it comes to raw land. Yeah, so let's go back to that due diligence. 
One big thing is environmental. I mean, what if they had a few barrels of oil in there and you just pick that up? Do you guys do any level one, level two? We don't do level one, level two environmental phase assessments because we're buying raw land. You know, we're not, and we're buying them in areas that are away from super fun sites, right? Or typically 10 to 30 miles away from the nearest town. So we don't really have to worry about that. I'm not buying New Jersey or Pennsylvania. You really only on Florida's only East Coast place. And I can always go to epa.gov and do a quick super fun search if I'm really worried about it. Right. So by buying land outside of the more rural areas, outside of the, you know, inhabited areas, you pretty much feel like you've mitigated that risk. Right. Exactly. Absolutely. What are other some due diligence things? I mean, what if this this land just like nobody really wants? Yeah, I mean, you know, it's so funny um, because there is a pig for every barn. Um, I bought property that I thought I would oh no one would ever buy it because it was so inexpensive, but there is there is someone that wants to buy that property. There's there's a lust for land in this country. Um, there's you know millions of people of what we call preppers. So they're, they're hoping for the best, but they're preparing for the worst. And they need a place to bug out to, and they want a piece of raw land that's quote-unquote in the middle of nowhere. So even swampland has the highest and best use. You can grow shiitake mushrooms out there. Um, I once bought property on the side of a mountain, and I threw it up on eBay. I thought, oh, gosh, I made a big due diligence mistake. Nobody's going to buy this 40 acres in New Mexico. And I put it up, you know, no reserve auction starting at a dollar. It went for $32,500. I, I, I paid 2000 for it. And I asked the guy, I'm like, oh my gosh, well, you realize it's on the side of a mountain. He's like, it's perfect. He was a director in LA and he wanted to film out there and he didn't want to deal with having to get permits and just thought, well, I'll just buy the land and I'll go out there and, and film. Let me ask you a little bit on your, uh, your work process. I mean, so you buy the property and I'm sure you've got teams doing this. Have you just automated it so that first step go to Craigslist, second step go to eBay, third step you know go to the neighbors? Is that is that well, something you you are actively doing, or is, have you just created instructions for others to carry out throughout that work? Yeah, my, my business is ninety percent automated, so I spend about two hours a week in Frontier Properties doing deals, and um, and usually that's just meetings and just you know refining what my acquisition manager team is doing. Um, so it is fully automated and because it's, you know, we're not dealing with housing, it's scalable. I don't have to go out and actually look at anything physical. So it's all done virtually. I can hire somebody on Craigslist like for 50 bucks, a local Craigslist gig, send them out, have them shoot video, take pictures, fill out my property report. I want to know what the neighbors will look like, make sure no one's dumping. So I never have to even physically go and stomp on a piece of property. I can't tell you last time I haven't looked at a piece of property. So it scales um, it's automated with software. Once you get that list, really you're, the 10% that can't be automated is writing a few ads and uh, doing county research. Yeah, so you'll actually send somebody to go and look at the property. And I, I know another site that people can use is like WeGoLook. Yeah, we go, we go look is a little bit more expensive. I like to do a local Craigslist gig. But yeah, we want someone to go actually look at the property. And then we'll use an app called What Three Words. Um, it's a great app and that way we can verify they're actually there. What is that? What is like, what is something you usually, uh, pay these guys at Craigslist or that other We, we pay them 50 bucks. I think we go look once like 79 to 119 bucks, depending on how far out it is. Yeah. And what are they looking back? What kind of back to, uh, another one of your team members and how, how was the road? How long did it take for you to find the property? What are the neighbors like? What's compelling about the property? Are there mountain views? 
Is there water nearby? What's the soil like? How far is the nearest Walmart and McDonald's? How far is the nearest services? Um, you know, those types of things. What kind of, you know, terrain is it? Is there a slope? Basically, all the, all, all the different characteristics of that piece of land that a buyer would want to know. Right, and that information gets transferred to your first-line um, officer who uh, takes that information and kind of does a little mind work and puts it into an ad. Correct. So they, that goes into our software, and then the software creates the ad. So it's all automated from there. So while we're doing our due diligence, we're actually doing our marketing. We talk a lot about syndications on this podcast, and most of the time, these offers are only for those with an accredited status per the rules of the SEC. Now sponsoring the Simple Passive Casual podcast is the American Homeowner Preservation Fund, a crowdfunding solution to the mortgage crisis in America, empowering investors to fund the purchase of distressed mortgages. The AHP fund aims to keep people in their homes by investing in notes. It's an opportunity to earn returns while feeling good about making positive social impact. You can start investing with as little $100. You can learn more at investinahp.com. And if you want the free Burn Zone book, please send me an email at lane at simplepassivecashflow.com. How do you find the prepper on Facebook? <laughs> what kind of keywords are you using on that? Well, yeah, I mean, you look for survivalist, prepper. Um, you go to buy-sell groups you know, nearby in nearby cities. Um, there's, any, there's, yeah, any, there's like all... Any, age range, sex, or uh, yeah, it's, education it's... level? Or how, do you, how do you find a certain <laughs> person? Well, it's predominantly male, and it's somebody that I, I would say is between 35 and 65 because they have to have some money. And they kind of grew up hearing the story of like, hey, you should own raw land. So, you know, we look at people who do things recreationally. They have, they have RVs. They have ATVs. They like to hunt. They like to fish. Those types of people. <laughs> you know, the place I used to work, Everybody used to hunt fish, and then one day when we're introducing ourselves, I said the same thing. I'm just some kid from Hawaii. I don't even know how to hunt. I mean, like fishing, but you can find <laughs> you know you can find me on Facebook if you just look for that, right? Right, absolutely. I was playing a little bit on those Facebook ads. You can put in income levels, but I always thought that you know people just BS that thing anyway. That that's a pretty junk criteria. So, yeah, we don't we don't we really just go into buy sell groups. We don't do a whole lot of you know, paid, we don't actually do any paid advertising except on the lands sites like oh. landfarm.com or landsofamerica.com, landhub.com, landflip.com. So it's a massive market with very few players. I mean, Lane, if you go to a RIA meeting, there'll be a hundred people at that meeting. 99 of them will be house flippers. You'd be the only land guy. So on Facebook, you're not using any of the search criteria like real estate, real estate investing. No, 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 not at all. No. We want buyers, not not real estate people. Right. Or in this case, RV, fishing, hunting. No, we'll just go to those buy-sell groups. Like we might go to a Craigslist buy-sell group that has 19,000 people in it. So if it's a buy-sell group that typically has 5,000 or more people, that's a good ad. Okay. What do you mean buy-sell group? Is that just Craigslist? Yeah, yeah. So general people, for yeah. sale. Yeah, general for sale, buy-sell groups. Okay. I've seen these other buy-and-sell groups like a, as a face, open public Facebook group. Yeah, yeah. If you go into Facebook, and you'll see. Yeah, the other question I had was, you know, when you buy a home and you do your title search, most times if you're doing a normal transaction, you get a warranty on the title. Sometimes you can do quit claim deed. How does it work with land? So, you know, we either do special warranty deeds 
or warranty deeds. We don't typically do uh, quick claim stuff. Okay. Because that's, yeah. you know, that's what a buyer would want, right? And what's the difference between the special warranty and the full warranty? So a special, a special warranty deed warrants that during the time of your ownership, there are no liens or encumbrances and you're conveying clear title. Where a warranty deed con- conveys clear and free title from the very beginning of time on that piece of land. So there's no change, there's no break in the chain of title, there's no liens or encumbrances from the very beginning of time. So that's why title insurance is so important as well. Right, and so when people are buying homes, that's what you need to look for is that warranty. Right, right, because you know the recorder might make a mistake. You know, you know, typically with a house, we're talking about a larger investment. You know, typically you're not going to have somebody litigate over a five thousand dollar, ten thousand dollar, even a thirty thousand dollar piece of land, right? But you certainly would for a two hundred thousand dollar home. Right. So I would imagine a lot of times you guys would just be quit claiming deeds because some of these tracts of land are, you know, a few grand, right? Well, yeah, you, you we could, but we don't. We actually do warranty deeds because we do our due diligence so thoroughly. I sleep well at night knowing, well, let me give them a good deed. What's the price difference between like a warranty deed, special warranty, and then quick claim? You know, it's it really isn't any value add to our buyers um, because they don't really know the difference for the most part. They don't care, right? We're not talking about the most sophisticated real estate buyers. They just want a piece of raw land they can go out to and do whatever they want. Maybe they'll improve it. You know, maybe they'll live out there one day. They're not too worried about it at the time. I call it man jewelry. It's like man jewelry. <laughs> My story is I used to be an investment banker and I was a pretty miserable investment banker. Um, I worked with private equity groups doing, you know, enterprise value between five and 500 million, just mergers and acquisitions. And I hated it. I had a 45 minute commute to work and back. I had no control. I worked long hours. I was stressed out. And sure enough, my firm hires this guy and he's telling me on the side, he's going to tax deed auctions and he's buying up raw land, pennies on the dollar, and he's flipping them online and he's making 300% returns on investment. And Lane, I'm from Missouri. I'm from the show me state. I don't believe him. So I go to New Mexico with him. I got three grand saved up for car repairs and I do exactly what he says to do. I, I buy 10 half acre parcels in this little town in New Mexico. And sure enough, the next week I flip them all and, you know, I paid the average price of $300. I sold them for over average price of $1,200. 300% at work. I took all that money from that New Mexico auction and all those profits. And I went to another auction in Arizona. And there's no one in the room. And I'm buying a property like nothing. Five, ten, twenty dollars $20, right? And sure enough, I flipped them online. And I made over $90,000 in about six months on that next auction. So I go to my wife. I say, honey. I'm ready to quit my job and, and, and sell land full-time. She says, absolutely not. So I worked 18 months part-time on land investing until the land investing income exceeded my investment banker income. And I've been doing it full-time ever since, since 2001. And I, and I love it. And now I'm the Land Geek. So if you go to landgeek.com, I teach people how to do it. And there's, there's nothing more satisfying to me than when somebody emails me and says, hey, Mark, I made more money this year in land investing that I did as my full-time job or I, I made, you know, an extra $100,000 this year land investing on the side and my wife was able to quit her job. And so now I can die in peace because before, yeah, it helped five people in frontier properties buying and selling raw land. And it was great, but nobody ever really thanked me. Like my customers didn't really change their life where the land geek is, it's so gratifying. And I'm sure you feel the same way when you help somebody, you know, move the needle in their life. 
Yeah, I get a few emails every week of people saying, you know, thanks for this. And I'm like, well, I just, you know, just broadcasted it out. You just happen to download it. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, it's great. It's a good example of you doing the land thing is just picking a niche and just going about doing it. I mean, I'm sure you would have been fine doing anything else. I mean, it's the business system is really your secret sauce, right? Yeah, it's the business system and it's the fact that I don't have to deal with anything physical. It's a one-time sale and I get recurring passive income. The fact I don't have to deal with the typical headaches in real estate because I'm not... I tried flipping a house once. I was miserable. I'd I'd go meet the subs. I don't know anything about construction. I don't know if they're (laughs) pulling one on me or not. You know, going back and forth, driving there to the house, you know, watering the plants. It was was horrible. I mean, when I looked at my effective hourly rate, you know, I made $100,000 on a house flip, you know, 2005. But when I looked at my effectively hourly rate, I'm like, oh, I only made a little money here. Where with land, you know, I did 192 deals last year working two hours a week. It's 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 way different. I personally am not going to do land just because I'm keyed in what I'm doing. But right. I think, I think what's the takeaway is once you're in real estate, you get access to deals and the deal flow. You see land come across your desk sometimes and at least you know who the people to take it to. I'm going to take it to you, Mark. Take it to me. I'll buy it. <laughs> You know I will. Yeah, at least give me 40 cents. For my no way, Link. Come on. <laughs> I'll, I'll, I'll give you 15 cents. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and the only reason I could is because I know you don't want it. So, no, I'm kidding. I, I make you a good deal, Link. <laughs> What's something that you recently thought about burning your cash on for a time savings or an improvement? In- what have I bought? Well, I just bought an app that I, I really love called Blinkist. It was like 80 bucks for the year. And Blinkist, you know how every business book, like the, it's like, you know, 15 pages of a simple idea. And then at the whole, it's like 200 pages of examples and anecdotes. Um, Blinkist just is that those few pages of the real meat of a book. It's fantastic. Deal, how brands grow, ready for anything. You know, David Allen, the thank you economy, Gary Vaynerchuk, good strategy, bad strategy, make a killing on Kindle. Why we buy? The tyranny of email conversations, and so all these business books I have, and I can get through them in about five minutes. Yeah, I, really I used that for a little while. They had a free trial, and when I was listening to it, yeah, you get all the good chunk of it. But I think when you're listening to a book at one x speed or one and one and a half speed, a little slower than I normally listen to things, like your subconscious starts to think of things to implement. Yeah, I, yeah. So maybe you're losing that. I don't know what your thoughts are. Well, I, I, I do listen to it on one and a half X speed. Yeah, but listening to the whole five-hour book cut down into five minutes, your brain doesn't subconsciously get to work on the action items. Oh, I see what you're saying. Yeah, I mean, I think what it does is it helps me really want to actually buy the actual book, right? So now I get a taste of all these business books and then, oh, you know what? That, that is an interesting concept. And here's something I want to delve deeper into. Because a lot of business books, there's such a simple concept. And it's just wrapped around anecdote after anecdote where, you know, sometimes you'll find a book that can really change your life. And, and those are the ones that I want to find. And a lot right. of times I just want to, you know, really read the classics as well. So, and do that. But th- this is a great way, great time-saving way for me to read hundreds of books and get the gist of them. And then if it's something that I really think could move the needle in my life, my business, I can go ahead and buy the book. My confession is I actually haven't read a book in like two years. I yeah, just, yeah. I just hear it from people like yourself or different podcasts, like Gary Keller, One Thing, or The Talent Code. I haven't read those books. but Yeah, I, I, re- take, I read both I just those hear books. the point. I just do it. I don't 
need the examples and all that stuff. I believe yeah, it. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I mean, and that and that's a really good example of Blinkist is where you get it, and it's a nice it's a nice conscious reminder of oh, if I you know I should the priority of one thing is really what I should focus on. Talent code, right? It's just it's deliberate practice. Um, I'll do that, right? Or I'll often do because I I do notice that my my mind will kind of go left and right when I'm reading or if I'm driving and I'm listening is I'll buy the audiobook and I'll buy the actual physical book and I'll listen to it on 3x speed while I read it. And that way I'm really locked in on the book. Wow, that's a great idea. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and then your mind really can't wander. One thing I thought about was, you know, because I just listen to or I just, you know, hear the concepts from other people. I mean, it's a good example of how ego gets in the way. I mean, some people, they need to be taught into or persuaded into these ideas. But if you're free and open-minded, like how I told you, I don't know anything about land investing. I don't really want to do it, but I'm open-minded at least. Right. I learn a lot. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, exactly. Exactly. And I may not do land investing, but I asked you a few questions here on Facebook ads and Craigslist and and just how you process your uh, workflow. A lot of good takeaways there. Yeah, absolutely. Something that you recently changed your mind on since our ego often gets in the way of greatness. I think I've changed my mind on analytics. Um, I've just come to the conclusion that I'm not going to stress over analytics anymore. And I'm not going to optimize anymore. And I'm just going to do my very best, <laughs> given the day, and and provide value. And that's it, right? If if it works, it works. And if it doesn't, it doesn't. Um, I'm not going to A-B test everything. I'm not going to stress over spreadsheets, Google Analytics, and all these things. I'm just going to provide value. And I think when I first started, I really thought, oh, you know, whatever isn't measured isn't managed. And, you know, the whole Peter Drucker thing, and I've let that go. It's just not me. It sure as hell makes it a lot easier when you hit your simple passive cash flow number, though. It sure is. Yeah, it sure does. Yeah, I agree. So how do you balance keeping the edge, being the type A analytics person, to kind of just being happy and content, and yet at the same time, perceivingly unproductive? Yeah, I mean, I think that I go 80%. Right. So, you know, I'll give an example, like, like a workout, right? Like I used to, to measure like a, like a, my workouts and how much I would be lifting and how much I'd be doing. And I'd be, you know, it would be miserable, right? Like I get up four 30 in the morning and I'd be working out really hard and I'd be doing the protein shake and I'd, I'd be measuring my gains. And then, you know, one day I saw this person kind of just doing like yoga <laughs> like just like just like really enjoying their workout, right? I'm like I'm like, what is that slacker doing? And so I changed up a little bit, and I just kind of like just enjoyed my workout a bit more. And you know, went eighty percent, and sure enough, the gains were like right there. Like maybe I was like two percent lower. So <laughs> I wasn't optimized. I'm not. I mean, look, I'm not ever going to be world class. I mean, if you want to be world class, then you got to do that, right? But I, I, I'm not going to be world class. And I, I really kind of just embrace doing my best and, and, and doing things with some joy. And, and moving the needle, it doesn't, you know, without driving myself crazy and really enjoying it. Because life is short. Like, think about it. We're, we're here for like a blink of an eye. I don't want to make myself crazy optimizing, 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 and then dying. <laughs> like, I want to enjoy it. I want to enjoy the ride. Another story that comes to mind, the Tim Ferriss podcast, one of his 
good buddies. I think it was Derek Sivers, who's just very high IQ. He uh, rides his bike to work every day. And while he's, you know, he's riding his bike and he's got all the gear on and he's got like a $10,000 bike and he's taking the most optimized path. He's really, you know, concentrating, getting there in time. And then he realized like what the heck he was doing. He was just like stressing out over that. And then one day he just decided for a few weeks to take it easy and have fun and, and enjoy the path to work. And of course, you know, being the guy he is, very analytical. He takes data every day to the second and he averages it out. And come to find out, originally his 20-minute high grueling bike ride down the work takes 20 minutes. And then when he took his time, it took like 21 minutes and 30 seconds. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Exactly. All right, Mark. So anything we missed? Any uh, contact information you'd like to get out there? Yeah, I mean, you know, they can learn more at thelandgeek.com and uh, download for free our Passive Income Blueprint, get the ebook, How to Avoid Three Fatal Land Buying Mistakes, and, and get the Land Geek Podcast, all 100 episodes unlocked. All right, Mark. We'll appreciate it. All right, Land. Thank you. This website offers very general information concerning real estate for investment purposes. Every investor situation is unique. Always seek the services of licensed third-party appraisers and inspectors to verify the value and condition of any property you intend to purchase. Use the services of professional title and escrow companies and licensed tax, investment, and or legal advisor before relying on any information contained herein. Information is not guaranteed as in every investment there is risk. The content found here is just my opinion and things change and I reserve the right to change my mind. Above all else, do your own analysis and think for yourself because in the end, you are the only person who is going to look out for your best interests.